Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. And that's honestly, that's the main thing I want to talk about today is, is how to sandwich um, bad news inside of good news. You know, the world, if, if you worked in the business world, you've probably heard of this method. It's, it's called the crap method of management. It it's actually has another name, but I didn't want to say that from stage. It's called the crap sandwich. Um, and it, it's when you take something bad that you have to say to someone, some criticism, some critique, some correction, and you sandwich it between two good things. The church world, they call this the praise method, probably because we don't like focusing on the crap. We want to focus on the good on either side. Um, and who here is in the business world, you've heard of this method of management where, yeah, maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've never heard it, but you've received it, and now you're like, oh, wait, that's what they were doing? Like, like my boss told me, like, hey, I, I, uh, you got a great smile, and you need to stop being late for work, and um, 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 your shoes look nice. Like, they sandwiched two good things with something bad, and now you're like, wait, that's what they were doing. They were just saying something nice to me because they wanted to say something bad. Well, that, that's an actual method of management. Um, it's, it can be called good, bad, good. It's called the praise method. It's also called the crab sandwich. However you want to call it, um, it's a method that people use to communicate difficult things to someone. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about. How, how do we have those difficult conversations when maybe someone we know and love is dealing with an issue that needs corrected? How do we deal with that? Because we're in a series called Disciple Makers. It's right there in the awesome 80s font that Aaron made for us. Disciple Makers. And we want a church filled with disciple makers, individuals who are willing to take the extra step and not only be a disciple of Jesus themselves, but assist others in the process. And we are all, as followers of Jesus, called to be active in the participation in helping others pursue Jesus. There's no one who, who gets to say, ah, that's for somebody else. That's a pastor's job. That's what, that's what I, I pay him for. And, and uh, don't, don't say that to me. That, that conversation won't end well. No, it's, it's all of our jobs. We are a kingdom of priests. We are all called to do the work of the ministry. It's, it's a pastor's job to make sure you have the tools that you need to do the work of the ministry. It, it, it's that kind of relationship. We're all disciple makers. We're all called to do this. So if we're called to do it, I'm sure Jesus did it first. He was an amazing leader, and amazing leaders, they go first. They'll never tell you to do something they're not willing to do themselves. Jesus modeled that for us. So I went and I looked for a time where Jesus practiced a method of difficult correction, and I'd like to look at the way he did it to outline maybe a method for us to do the same thing. And, and whether you call it, you know, the, the good, bad, good method, the, the crap sandwich method, the praise sandwich method, um, it, it's basically the same thing, and it identifies the good in someone, looks for the correction they need, and then it will identify what good will come from it, all right? Uh, the other thing I want to call this is maybe the, the who, the why, and the what method. And as we, we look at this, we'll see how it's good, it's bad, it's good, how it's um, praise, crit criticism, praise, and, and also how it identifies who you are, what you've done, and why it matters that you change, okay? So if you're taking notes, you'll find that, that every one of these points, it covers all three. Who, why, what, good, bad, good, praise, criticism, praise. Like, like we need to identify that all of these elements are there, but the best thing for us to do is look at the model that we see in Scripture, what Jesus did, and learn from it, right? Let's get to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with prayer. Um, just I feel like I need it, so I'm going to do it, and I, let's start. God, I've been wrestling with this word all weekend. I ask you to break through. Break through. 
not, not so that we see some amazing thing performed, but so that we understand what is required of us as your followers to take that next step into disciple making. Amen. All right, so we're going to go to Matthew 16. This is kind of mid, midway through Jesus' ministry. His disciples have seen him perform some miracles. They've heard his teachings. They've gotten to know who he is. And, and in Matthew 16, verse 13, Jesus says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, I want to pause there because this is really deep. Isn't that a funny name? Caesarea Philippi. Sounds like a really great Italian pizza place. Like, you want to go get a slice down at Caesarea Philippi? Like, I just, I really want to go there. Someone open a pizza place called that. If you're watching online and you know of a pizza place called Caesarea Philippi, road trip, all right? So, he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Now we really do need to pause because uh, when I was younger, someone challenged my faith, someone I looked up to, and they said, they said, hey, you believe Jesus is God, right? And I went, yeah, definitely. I, I know he's, he's the Lord of my life. He's God. I believe that. He says, well, then why did he always call himself the Son of Man? I believe that Jesus was just a man, and he knew it. So he called himself Son of Man. And I went, oh, uh, I don't know what to say about that. Well, now I do, and I looked into it, especially for this message since this passage is here. It refers to a prophecy in the book of Daniel, and that prophecy says that the Son of Man will be given the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom of heaven by the Father. That's what the prophecy says. And when it, whenever Jesus said the Son of Man, he was referring back to a very clear prophecy of someone who would be given authority of the kingdom of heaven from God, and it specifically says that the Son of Man will be given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's the specific prophecy. Now, we might not know that in our culture, but any Jewish believer, if they heard Son of Man, they immediately understood that prophecy. That was a big deal. Like, oh, Son of Man, yeah, the guy who's going to have all authority under the kingdom of heaven, he'll have the keys to the kingdom, like, like the keys to Dad's car. He's going to have it. He'll be able to take care of it. They got it. And it's important we understand that for a little later on. So let's, let's keep going. Well, they replied, and Jesus is asking, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? So I want to sum this up. Imagine you're hanging out with your friend, and, and maybe you've been in this position, and maybe your friend's feeling a bit vulnerable, and they're like, hey, hey, what do people say about me when, when I'm not around? Have you ever had that vulnerable moment with a good friend? You're like, hey, you'll tell me the truth, dude. What do, what do people say about me? I always assume that people say, yeah, he's cool. He's kind of annoying, but, he, but he's cool. I like him. Like, that's what I've, I've learned through that conversation with people. And, and, and I think Jesus was doing that. He's like, who do people say that I am? You're my friends. You, you'll, you'll tell me square. Who do people say I am? But then Jesus goes a step forward, and he goes, I don't, I don't care who they say I am. Who do you say that I am? And he asks his disciples the same thing he asks us today. Who do you say that I am? Do you know who I am? That's what Jesus is asking us. And one of his disciples, the boldest among them, stands up and says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is a big deal. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And we're all asked that question. And Simon, he steps up and he's the first human being ever to say this. You are the Messiah, the son of of the living God. Here's how big a deal this was. If the religious leaders heard this, if the Sanhedrin heard this, 
They could put him to death right there, stone him in the spot he stood, and killed him for what was called blasphemy, for calling someone a human being God. This was a huge deal. He was breaking the law to speak what he believed to be the truth. It was such a big deal that if Jesus did not correct him, Jesus could also have been put to death. If someone tells you, you are the son of God, and you don't go, no, 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 don't say that, I am not, you could be put to death. This is a huge deal. Peter, Jesus goes, who do you say that I am? Peter's like, you are the son of God. You are the very Messiah. Huge deal. Peter stepped out, did something good, and Jesus does something good. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn it from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Peter gets a new name. He used to be Peter, son of John. Now he's, all right, he was Simon, son of John, and now he's Simon Peter, Simon the Rock. Like, when he identified who Jesus was, Jesus gave him a new name. Jesus says, oh, you finally understand who I am? Now I'm going to tell you who you are. And he says, you are the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the powers of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Remember the prophecy? The son of man has the keys given to him from the father. It's like I have a lot of student drivers right now in my youth ministry. I have like six of them. So pray for me. Um, I, I let them drive me around town and I teach them how to drive. And they do great. They do, they do really good. They never almost kill me. But there's, there's something special about the exchanging of keys. Like, like, here's the keys. And Jesus is saying, God has given me the authority with the keys. And Peter, because you've recognized that I'm God, I'm going to give you that same authority. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. All the disciples know the truth now. Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the son of God, God on earth. And he says, don't, don't tell anyone, but I'm glad you know. Because when we know who Christ is, we know who we are. When you know who you are, it's because you know who Christ is. When I was young, my, my parents received Jesus as their savior. And I've said this many times, and I'm so glad that they met him because they introduced me to him. And I remember a time after I'd been saved, it hadn't been long. We'd been in the church maybe six months, maybe a bit more. And I got to go on a father-son camp out in a group I was a part of called Royal Rangers. It's like Boy Scouts, but in church. And there's way more like, like it's, it's more about God than it is about camping. But we were on a camping trip and we're sitting there at the side of a pond. And, and it's like, like six-year-olds camping. So it's really like dad's doing all the work and six-year-olds getting in trouble. And and they're teaching us how to fish. And they've got all the rods and lures laid out on a table in front of the pier. And, and he's teaching us how to fish. And, and the, the commander, this guy, he was, he's a big guy, Commander Tucka. Commander Tucka's got like a black beard with like a little gray in it. And he's got that, that pot belly that, you know, men have. Like, and his pants are tucked in and he kind of stands there like this all the time. And he walks around. And Commander Tucker goes, all right, before we get started fishing, 
There's something way more important you guys need to know. Jesus called to be fishermen. Anybody know what type of fishermen? And we're really young kids, like, like new to the church. And, and uh, Well, I'm young, at least. Many of the kids were raised since birth. And there were probably maybe 10 of us all sitting there. And, and since I'm so new, I go, is someone going to answer? Because like, it was obvious to me. I, I guess I just learned it and remembered it or something. And I just sat there waiting. And nobody, so I went. And I said, he's going to make us fishers of men. And like all of the dads and the, the kids that kind of turned to me, because listen, here's something you need to know about me at six years old. I was not expected to answer a question. <laughs> I was expected to get a fish hook in my face, like just from like, whoop, whoop, whoop. like, so I surprised them with that ability to actually get that question right. And to me, it just seemed so obvious and I, and I knew it. But, but in that moment, Commander Tutka, remember, man, like he goes, that's really good, Jason. You knew that? And he goes, guys, this is the most important moment. We, we don't need to learn how to fish. We need to know who Jesus is. And Jason got it. And then later on, the Wednesday, when we get back from the camping trip, Commander Tucka brings me up in front of the whole outpost, all these men and boys much older than me, and he, he gives me a gift. It was a poster with all the Royal Ranger code on it, which I can recite to this day. Um, Alert, clean, honest, courageous, loyal, courteous, obedient, spiritual. Like, I, I got it memorized. I could, go, I could do it, and then I could give the underscoring things, but I'm not going to get into that now. And he gave me that poster, and he said, Jason knew what mattered when it mattered. He knew who Jesus was. And in that moment, someone showed me, a very young child, the love and respect of God. And I knew that's who I wanted to be. And if you've never experienced that kind of love from a human being, there is a heavenly father who wants to show you that kind of love every single day. And when you know who he is, you will know who you are. I work with teenagers and their job, like, like the, the main point of adolescence, of, of being between the ages of like 12 through 17, it's to determine who you are. It's called emerging identity. They need, they need to identify who they are. And it's why this culture is so kind of messed up with giving them all these instructions. And, and you can be anything you want. You can be a fish. Like you just decide and that's who you are. And it's, it's nobody can tell. Like it, it's gotten far too open. We haven't given them the pathways to define themselves within. So they're just all over the place. And, and what we need to do is help them find the person who created them. So when they know who he is, they will be sure and certain of who they are. And we need to do the same thing. We need to lead them in that. If we, if we doubt or aren't sure who we are, we don't need to look in the mirror. We need to look in the Bible. And when we see who Jesus is, then we'll know who we are. That's exactly what happened for Peter. Peter goes, I know who you are, Jesus. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, you will no longer be called Simon. That is the old you. You are now Peter. You are the rock. And he gave him a nickname. I love giving out nicknames. Two reasons. One, terrible with names. If I don't know your name, help me give you a nickname. That'll help a lot. Two, something special happens when you give a nickname. Um, and I noticed this actually my, my first full year of ministry here. Uh, there, was, there was a young guy. I won't use his name except I have to, so I'm going to, who, who, whose name was Atlee. And, and Atlee, I used, to, I, used to go, I used to call him At. Because it was just the abbreviation of his name, at, 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 at. And then one day, one of his friends goes, I thought you didn't like being called at. Like, you didn't, you didn't let anybody call you at. And Atlee goes, yeah, but it's Jason. 
And there's like this moment when I realized when, when we have that kind of relationship with someone that we can be given a nickname by them, we're connected to them, right? And, and Jesus, I believe, he wants to change your name. Like maybe not what other people call you. You don't have to physically, but he, he calls you something else. He calls you by a nickname, an intimate, close, relational, like, like he calls me Jay, like, like something like that where, where he calls me loved. He calls me his son. He calls me something else, not how I define myself before him. He calls me something new. And I believe he calls you by a different name because he loves you enough that, that you're not like any other John. You're not any other Sue. You're not any other James. You're not any other Jill. You're someone special with a unique name to him. And he loves you. He loves you. It always starts with love. There's the good. Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. We're going to be talking about having difficult conversations. It's important for us to have difficult conversations. But do not correct anyone. I want to make this very clear. We want to be a church filled with disciple makers. Do not go out of your way to tell people what they're doing wrong if you have not shown them love. The church hurts people this way. Hurts a lot of people this way. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by how you love. Show love. Show love. Show love. And then we move on to follow the next model Jesus has for us. You see, after he showed love, he had to share some truth with them. And in verse 21, he says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. You see, he, he told Peter something really great. Like, you will be the rock I will build my church, and, and we will build the kingdom of heaven. And I bet you they all thought, man, we're going to have an epic kingdom here on. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have the, the biggest kingdom, the best kingdom, big walls surrounding it. We're going to make Jerusalem great again. Like he was ready to go, making all these promises. The disciples, they're like, yeah, we got it. But then he goes, hey, guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be ridiculed. It's not going to be how you expect and Peter, he didn't like hearing that very much. And Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. I laugh there because this is a funny picture to me. Peter, human being, Jesus, God. And Peter goes, hey, hey, Jesus, come here. Come here. No, 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 come here. Come here. Listen, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen. Peter, can you picture this? Imagine my little son hero, right? He knows nothing. Grabs me by the finger and pulls me over. And then he's like, Dad, knock it off. Like, that's, that's the kind of situation we're talking about here. A human being talking to God and saying, heaven forbid. And you know, he says heaven forbid because I think he's trying to talk churchy to Jesus to elevate his position. Have you ever encountered somebody who does this? Hopefully not. But they're like, oh, brother. I just got to tell you, I loved all that stuff, and, and, and amen, and Jesus, but listen, you suck. Like, that kind of thing, they get, they get really, really pious, and, and they use all the right religiosity words, but then what they're saying really hurts, and there isn't any actual love in it, and they just tried to soften the blow with some church, and I think that's what Peter was doing. He's like, Jesus, heaven forbid. 
I, I am Peter the rock. You just told me I was the rock. So heaven forbid, I know something because I'm the rock. I don't know if you heard this, Jesus. I'm the rock. Heaven forbid, this will never happen to you. And he corrects God. But Jesus, he wasn't allowed, about to let his disciple make this huge mistake. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Oh, wait, there's an exclamation point there. I got to do that again. Get away from me, Satan. It's got a bit more pain to it, right? Imagine a few days ago, Jesus calls you the rock. You get it. You're the new guy. You're his right-hand man. You're going to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then a few days later, he goes, get away from me, Satan. Can you imagine that? That like, like build up, smack down, like get away from me, Satan. You are dangerous to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus did not hold back. He did not hold back. He had truth that needed said, and he provided a spiritual slap. Um, I do this thing in our youth group. I call it love taps. Um, sometimes I'll just be talking to one of, the, one of the guys, usually the guys, occasionally some of the tougher girls, and I'll just go, like, just like that. And like, I think it's hilarious. Like, and they're like, you just slapped me. And I'm like, what? No, what are you talking about? It, it's a love tap. But that's, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's just going, pay attention. Snap out of it. Like, he's just, he's, Peter, you don't understand. You don't understand. You're only speaking from human perspective. I don't beat our kids. Some of you might be stuck on that. It's, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, like a little, like, a, like, that's it. They're fine. You guys are fine. Like, I like this job, okay? But, but Peter... He gets, that, he gets that smack across the face, that, that quick correction, that, that snap back. And Peter has to deal with that. He has to deal with the fact that the one who just called him the rock, the one who loved him, smacked him. And I think, I think Jesus did this, and he did this quickly. He didn't wait. He didn't let it sit. He had already shown Peter unconditional love a few days earlier, and then Peter makes a mistake, and he doesn't wait because Proverbs 27.5 says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. An open rebuke, just openly being able to say, what are you talking about, is better than like, oh, Peter, oh, silly Peter, you go on your way, I know what I'm doing. No, he openly rebukes him. And then it says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy, is what it says in Proverbs. Jesus was willing to hurt his best friend because he loved him, rather than just kisses from an enemy, wounds from a sincere friend. I hope you have some friends in your life who are willing to give you the right kinds of wounds, the kind of wounds that help, not hurt, not just say nice things because that's easier. I, I remember a time where I was wounded in this way. Uh, here in this, this sanctuary, we were having a youth service when I was still a volunteer in the youth ministry. It was actually early on in my volunteer time as a youth worker. Um, I probably knew maybe a few of the students' names, like, like I had just gotten plugged in, and we're worshiping. And uh, I think that's just part of the memory. And we're standing there, and we're worshiping, and we're worshiping. And you guys know me well enough at this point, maybe I struggle with focus. That is a cross to bear. Anyway, so I'm standing there, and I've totally zoned out. Like, maybe, maybe you're a better Christian than me, and you've never zoned out in worship, but I definitely did. I was, I was gone, and I was kind of doing this. Mm -hmm. Spiritual sway, you know, like, 
like where you're just, you're doing the eighth grade, like, like slow dance, and you're just like this with Jesus, and you got your hands out. So that, so that nobody knows you've absolutely checked out. And I was, I was checked out. And it must have been obvious because an individual came up behind me and put his hands on my shoulders. And now he was reaching down because I'm short and he wasn't. And he puts his hands just boom right on my shoulders. And I get like a little shook like that. Like I'm scared. Like what just happened? I was zoned out, remember? Like somebody just snapped me back to reality. And he begins to say, everyone in this room is being distracted by the fact that you're not even focusing. You think you're pretending, but everyone is seeing through it, and you are pulling people away from Jesus. And let me tell you, I was about ready to punch a guy in the face. Like, what is he saying? I don't know who's behind me. I don't know who's saying this. And I got mad, like flat out mad. Not, not like, like he's doing this wrong. He should have shown me love first. Like, why? This isn't how a rebuke is supposed to happen. No, I was like, shut up, you big jerk. Like, I was not cool. Like, face was probably red. I, I think I was shaking with my anger. Like, it was that bad. And then, and then something else happened. The, the fumes wore off. <laughs> I calmed down, and I began to hear him a few steps behind me praying. Praying openly for me. Not intentionally loud so I could hear. Not in any way that it would soften the blow. But genuinely seeking God on my behalf. And he began to pray, God, just use him. Connect him. Make him a leader, not a deterrent. Let him learn how to worship you in spirit and in truth. Just, just kind words over me. And something happened in my heart. That snap, that slap, that, that correction made me realize that I was totally zoned out. And I was missing on what God had for me. And I was preventing other people in some small way from connecting. And now you might notice me in worship uh, nowadays. I kind of move around a lot. If, if I can't focus, I'm going to find a place I can. I'm going to move. I'm going I'm to pace. I'm going to jump up and down. I'm going to shout. I'm going to do whatever is necessary for me to worship. And, and I'm also not going to be an intentional distraction. You won't see me, like, running back and forth up here anytime soon um, because that might work for me, but that's going to bring other people out of it. This is corporate worship. It's for all of us together. So, so I'm trying to build us up by me focusing on God more. You need to do what you need to do so that you can focus on God to help everyone. Corporate worship is just that, together. And his correction helped me see that and make a change in my life. And that needs to be the goal of correction. Not, hey, you're doing something wrong and I don't like it. No, I know that you can do better and I want to help you do better. So I'm going to help you at least see your behavior. Because we're not always aware of our own behavior, and we need people to help us bring it into light. That's why we exist as a church. That's one of the reasons home groups exist, so that we can make those connections and relationships, and then we can see patterns in one another's lives that maybe we can't see on our own. If you're not connected to any other believers, how are other believers going to help you get out of your old life and move into the new one that Christ has called us to? If you're doing it alone, who can guide you? Who can help you? And Jesus was willing to be that for Peter, and he provided a spiritual slap. So he did the good, and he showed him who he was. Then he said the bad, and he showed him what he was doing wrong. You see, Peter was only looking at his earthly perspective, not his heavenly perspective. He didn't understand that God had a higher plan. Peter just saw his earthly kingdom disappearing because Jesus is saying he's going to die. But God had something greater in mind. He showed him who he was, 
He showed him what he was doing. Love, good, bad. It's right there. Now he needs to show him why. He needs to show him more love. He needs to show him the good that'll come from this correction. And that's what he does in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. There's the good. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, what Peter wanted, but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus identified that he wanted comfort over correction. Yep, did that wrong. Correct it. He wanted correction over than comfort because correction is always greater than comfort. See, the disciples, they, they wanted comfort in that moment. Jesus, you can't say these hard things. It's too hard to hear. It's too hard to hear. It's too hard to hear. Just tell us something good. Just tell us something easy. Just let us know that you'll always be with us. Can't you just tell us you'll always be here exactly how you are right now? Can't things stay exactly the same? They wanted that comfort. But Jesus knew that correction was better, and correction was what they needed. And if they would receive correction, they would also receive eternity. See, you have a soul, and your soul will live on. And you have the ability in your earthly nature to impact your eternal soul. We don't talk about this enough. Uh, as a part of the disciple-making challenge, Candace challenged us to read uh, Soul Keeping. And I'm, I'm reading that book right now, and it talks about the nature of the human soul and how we have to shepherd our soul. And God is so much more interested in our soul than our flesh. But our flesh, our earthly bodies, the way we behave on earth, dictates our eternal soul. It cultivates it. It creates it. It corrupts it or it corrects it. And if you pursue only comfort, you will corrupt your eternal soul. But if you value correction, if you seek God's truth, your soul will be made healthy and eternal. Jesus identified who Peter was. He corrected him quickly, and then he made him look at the benefit in eternity that was waiting for him and the benefits on earth that are waiting for him if he will take that correction. Jesus knew what he needed to hear. He could not allow his best friend to tell him that it was okay. It's okay. You don't have to tell people you're going to die. Don't focus on the bad. Don't focus on the bad. He couldn't allow that. And he says, get behind me, Satan. There's a, there was a time in my life uh, I was emerging as a leader in our master's commission program, and they said, Jason, we think you'll be a great leader in this program. We just see one weakness in your leadership style. You see, you have a problem correcting people. You never seem to tell people that what they're doing is wrong. Why is that? And I went, I don't know. And, and they said, do you think you can work on that? I said, sure. So they said, okay, we're going to put you in charge of the gym, uh, gym workout routines, and you have to make sure that everybody gets in their three workouts a week that they're required to do as per the regulations of our program. And I said, awesome, I can do that. Look forward to it, excited about it. 
And then the first week comes and I help everyone get started. I teach them how to work out a little bit, just basics, cardio, simple workouts, all that stuff. And then, and then I'm supposed to just track their progress with them. And then the second week comes and I had started a new job and it was really hard to get out to the gym and I had only gotten two workouts in that week. And it's Saturday and all my friends are like, hey, Jason, let's go hang out. Let's like go to Devil's Den. We're going to go on a hike. And I'm like, I can't. I have to work out. I haven't gotten my third workout in. And one of my friends looks at me and they said, Jason, aren't you in charge? of it? Can't you just give yourself a pass this week? That's, you have the authority to do that, don't you? Like, if I need a pass, you could give me one. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. All right. When what I should have said was, get behind me, Satan. I'm called to something higher. Don't tell me I can get away with it, because then I will. And you know what I did? I decided, yeah, I can get away with it, and I'll skip it. I gave myself the inch, and then I took the mile. And when Monday morning came, and I had to go to the gym again, I went, I, I, I give myself another pass. It's kind of early. <laughs> I worked late last night. And then the, and Wednesday came, and I'm like, eh, well, they, they told me it's, I, can, I can decide. And you know what? The pattern of my behavior was predicted by that moment. And I can honestly tell you I, I skipped far more workouts than I ever went to, to the point that I honestly don't remember going to the gym very much that year. And because I hadn't been going to the gym, I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to keep anyone else accountable. And I imagine most people weren't going to the gym because I wasn't checking. Because in that moment, I allowed somebody to tell me, it's okay, you can get away with a little bit. Instead of saying, no, this is not right. I need for me to do this. I set myself up for failure. And I think a lot of us, because we desire the comfort of someone giving us permission, we don't allow for our own correction. And Jesus knew that correction is greater than comfort. Correction is greater than comfort. We live in a society that values comfort over everything. Do you know what you need? Jesus knew he could not look at the comfort. He had to look for what was waiting for him. Do you know what you need? Today's message has two possible responses. One, have you received Jesus as the Lord of your life? Have you allowed him to forgive you of your sins? Maybe, maybe this is a new concept to you, but the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned. We fall short, that we have made mistakes. And those mistakes, those sins, those lying, cheating, stealing, they separate us from God. And because of that, we needed Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins. Then we need to make him the Lord of our life so that we don't turn back to them. If you've never made that decision, you can make that decision today. You can begin to follow, move towards him. Lean into his correction and become a new creation. He can give you a new nickname today, transforming you in this moment, if you'll let him. Maybe you've already made that decision, but you're trying to become a disciple maker. And maybe there's some behaviors in your life that need correction, and you're already aware of them, like Jesus knew he could not allow that to stand. Maybe there's something in your life you know you need to change. Or maybe there's someone who you love, who you've got relationship with, and you need to be willing to have a tough conversation with them. To say, I know, I know that you think it's okay to keep this lie alive in your life. I know you think it's okay to continue with this behavior, this, this abuse, this, this negative influence, this element of your life that is corrupting you. But there is something better if you're willing to take this correction. I love you. This isn't healthy. There's something better. Are you willing to have that conversation? Are you willing to have that conversation?
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. where we apply the message we heard this week at Freedom Valley Church. Jason actually preached this week, and he spoke out of Matthew 16, where we see Jesus rebuking one of his disciples and having a pretty tough conversation with Peter. You know, Peter actually takes this well, I guess, in terms of how Peter has reacted in the past, he takes it pretty well. First, Jesus tells him how he is the rock and, and he's going to build his church. And then sort of in the very next passage, it says, get behind me, Satan. Right? And, and I don't think that Jesus was speaking to Peter as Satan. A lot of people take this literally. I think he was saying, look, you are in dangerous territory when you're, you're coming at me with, with pride, with power, with here's what we can build together. And Jesus just looked at Peter like, that's not my mission here. You, you, you have to realize that that's a temptation for me. I very easily could set up my own power and authority and kingdom here, but that's not why I came. And I have to keep my eyes on the prize. And so there's kind of two application pieces that we can take from this passage. And the first is from Jesus's perspective from you know that leadership perspective if you're a leader in any sense you have people coming at you you know with with praise and with you're doing so well and you could be this you could be that and you have to make sure that your your focus is constantly on what does god want me to do here not what is my pride saying what is is the power temptation saying but what is god saying and secondly, from Peter's perspective, um, we have to learn how to take rebukes well, right? Proverbs talks a lot about how taking discipline well is such a big part of life that we have to learn how to do that, that discipline is a good thing, that we need to learn through that. You know, we tend to get so offensive immediately. We put our, our guards up and say, it's everybody else's fault, it couldn't possibly be mine. But really, if we take a step back and look at, at what can we learn through this, do they have an actual point? And how do I apply this to my life and get better in this area? We're much better off in the long run. The third thing that we can apply from this passage is um, there's a point at the end where Jesus says, what is the point if you gain the whole world but lose your soul, right? And so. We have to look at what it means to actually develop our soul, that, that piece of us that is eternal, right? Not our body and, and our things that we've accumulated in this world and, and where we get by the end of our life, but to know that, that death is just a shadow. Our lives continue on for eternity, that we were created as eternal beings that are gonna live forever. And so what are we gonna do? death who is that person that exists outside of this world um, Jesus is, is making the point that we have to focus on that person on developing our souls on having an eternal perspective 
not just the here and now perspective. So talk about that tonight in your groups. How can you focus on, on developing your soul and that piece of you that's going to last forever? How can you be better at taking discipline and applying it to your life? And how can you be better at, at staying humble and focusing on what God has for you? So have a great conversation, guys. We'll see you next week.